So good evening. Welcome. Thank you for coming. And, uh, it's very polite of you to save all these seats up front for other people. <laughs> Feel free to move up if you'd like now. I promise I won't bite. I did have a shower today. <laughs> so, usually in this period, uh, we uh, have some question and answer uh, about about meditation, but also sometimes about other Dharma questions. Uh, but before I came in, we were having a, a conversation outside, and a question came up, which uh, I might just uh, continue on. But uh, uh, and, and I, I think I will do that. But first, just to judge the the time that's available, I would like to know if you could put your hand up. If any of you came here with a question that you wanted to ask before we begin the sit. And of course, we will have a nice long discussion after we sit as well. So nobody's here with a pressing question that I'm depriving you of the opportunity of asking by continuing our our discussion from before. Okay, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Good. So, we were talking about we were talking about how certain practices uh, tend to generate certain mental states with emotional content, and how that can be used, and that led us to some comments about using using those practices and using the mental states that they bring us to to help us in deepening our understanding of this idea of emptiness. Uh, And a comment was made that uh, something to the effect that I realize that all of this is just a game my mind is playing. And uh, that reminded me of certain concerns I have that when people's understanding of emptiness leads them uh, a little bit too far in one direction, which is... When we go so far as to say things like, well, emptiness means this is all just a dream. Or emptiness means that I'm just making this all up in my mind. Or this is all just a game my mind is playing. And, and the I was worried when I hear those phrases that a person... You, you see, uh, what 
this, this idea of emptiness is that things are not as they appear. In particular, nothing, no part of our experience, no aspect of our experience has a self-nature of its own of being the way we perceive it to be. And that's a carefully phrased statement. Put in another way, the reality that we live in is created by our minds. You see, all that we know, the basis of all of our experience, is the information from our sense organs. And even that, even that is empty of having a self-nature of being the way we perceive it to be. And most of most everybody knows this nowadays. You know, they have, have background in basic science that they realize that uh, the color red only exists in our mind. You know, and the particular wavelengths of light that cause us to perceive the color red uh, are not perceived in that way by dogs and cats and deers and things like that. So, so it is really very much the case that. When we say that all of our perceptions are dependent upon the activity of our mind, and they are projections of our mind. So nothing is, in some ultimate sense, the way it appears to be. It is only an appearance. This wonderful orange that I was gifted with, The way I experience this is dependent, first of all, upon the kind of sense organs that I have, and then secondly, by the way my brain processes the information from those senses, and and at the deepest level, how my mind treats that experience based on, you know, all of my past experience of oranges and round things and orange things and citric smelling things and, and also the mood that I'm in uh, which could have a lot to do with what happened to me earlier today or yesterday and so on and so forth. So my experience of this has nothing to do with whatever there may be out there. And so when we say things are empty, they are empty of any nature any self-nature being the way that we perceive them to be. And that's a wonderful, profound thing to recognize. In terms of oranges, it's not very important. There is so much similarity between the way every one of us in this room will perceive these oranges. Although there will be differences, absolutely. But there's so much similarity that it is not of any great importance. And not only how I perceive an orange isn't in most cases, a very significant part of my reality anyway. But on the other hand, if we leave aside an orange and take 
a human being. Now, it's immediately obvious that the way one person perceives a particular human being is so different than the way any other person does. And all of those ways of perceiving are different than what that person, how that person perceives themselves. And not only that, that perception is in constant flux. It will be different in an hour, and it will be different tomorrow, and it will be different next year for all of us, including that person itself. And that the reality that we live in is all of these little fabrications adding up to a huge fabrication. And so if your reality is one of life is perfect and everything's happening the way you want, it's not the out there that's making that reality. It's the in here that is. Or if if your life is misery, if your life is hell, it's not the out there that's making your life hell. It's the in here that's making your life hell. And to understand and fully appreciate emptiness is to realize that your mind is moment by moment by moment creating your reality. And the important, when you realize that, when that starts to come clear, the important question to ask is, okay, why is it creating my reality this way instead of something other? It was a few weeks ago, there was a, a Dilbert cartoon, and I should have saved it, it was so good. Um, there is some, uh, some, some strange theory of physics that suggests that, uh, that there may be a, a, a momentary singularity that gives rise to consciousness and that, uh, you know, uh, the whole world appears in this mind that only exists for an instant and it's called by somebody's name and I don't remember that and that's not very important. But in this Dilbert comic, you know, he's sitting in a, on the couch in a therapist's office and he says, more and more I'm thinking that reality really is a blank brain, you know. And he says, but then I ask myself, if my mind is creating all of this, why isn't it creating something that I like better? <laughs> you know, and that's the question you have to ask. And the more you start to understand emptiness, the more crucial it becomes that you understand why on earth is my mind creating this reality instead of all of the others that it could. And the important thing there is, if you look at that, what happens to you in any given moment is you attend to certain things, and what you and, and the, you know, this is just fact that's been demonstrated over and over again that we are incapable of attending to anything more than a small fraction of what is present at any given time. So what we ignore, what is outside of our conscious awareness in any given situation, is vastly larger than what we actually pay attention to. But what is it that determines what you pay attention to in a particular situation? And if you examine that, you discover, well, it's the mood I'm in, it's the expectations that I walked into the room with, it's, it's all kinds of things that have to do with yourself, 
your own past, your previous experiences. Every, every idea and intention that you generate becomes a part of that mind that generates your reality. The more that you go around thinking, that's bad, that's terrible, that's ugly, that's dirty, he's mean, uh, she's nasty, then you're going to create a mind that in any situation you walk into is going to selectively see certain kinds of things and not others. And then beyond that, of course, whatever you happen to see, smell, hear, taste, etc., once the selection has been made, then your mind's going to interpret it in a particular way. And uh, the way that your mind is going to interpret it is once again dependent upon how your mind has conditioned. And every thought and every intention that uh, you have experienced in your whole life has helped to mold that mind and shape that mind. And, of course, the way you react to the reality that you're presented with in this moment is going to shape your mind in the future. So, this is karma. This is what determines the reality that you experience at any given time. (coughs) And this is what we mean when we say that uh, it is all empty. And a huge part, very important part of this emptiness is who we think we are. That is equally empty. That is just a projection of the mind as well, which has no more substance than any of the other projections. It has an origin. Uh, we, are, we are conscious. Uh, we have sense organs. We experience being in a body. And uh, we react in certain ways disregarding for the moment that we've conditioned ourselves to react in those ways, we react in certain ways. And so we can say, I am this kind of a person. I'm a man, I'm a woman, I like these things, I don't like those things. These are my beliefs, these are my values, Uh, this is my personality, so on and so forth. But that too is just as empty as anything else. It's a fabrication of the mind, a projection of the mind. And it could be as totally different as anything else. So the problem is that in understanding emptiness, you have to have both parts of it. And you have to realize that ultimately the mind itself is empty too. Because otherwise, you say, this is all a dream. Well, although you may not be consciously aware of it, in that thought, you are positing the reality of you as a self, as non-empty, and seeing everything else as not only being empty, but somehow being a product of this real self. And that's not the case. When you say, this is my mind, this is all just my mind. My mind's making all this up. You're doing the same thing. You're just shifting it away from this unconscious, recognition that it's a self from which this is coming, you're objectifying the mind and say, well, this mind, which is real and substantial and non-empty from its own side, is creating all of that stuff. And, of course, 
somewhere there is this idea, yeah, and it's my mind, too. <laughs> and then, of course, you go, well, if it's my mind, how come you can't make things the way I want? <laughs> but, um, but to, to get to that place of liberation, you see, on one hand, you, rec- you can recognize that, that your mind creates reality it does because of its conditioning, and you can change its conditioning. And we've talked about ways that you can change its conditioning. This is a very important thing to do. As a matter of fact, you have to do this. Because over a lifetime, you've accumulated a huge amount of conditioning that is not conducive to awakening. It's not conducive to seeing things as they really are. So you do have to change this conditioning of the mind. But the true liberation comes when you recognize in the most profound way the, the emptiness of the mind, the emptiness of the self, and the emptiness of the reality that's projected by the mind. Because at that point, you're, you, are, you, are limit, you are liberated from the enslavement to service of this self, which you may not really have recognized that you were, but you, you are a slave to serving this self, doing everything you can in every minute to protect this self, gratify this self, make sure this self gets its share of pleasure. It needs pleasure, you know, and, and love and every recognition and everything else, and make sure that nothing nothing happens to the self. So you're the slave of this idea of the self. And recognizing the emptiness of the self will liberate you from that enslavement. And then one part of the conditioning of your mind is that whatever happens, you react to it with some form of craving, with desire or aversion. But you only do that because you've always been attached to the idea that this self was real and that all this stuff out there was the cause of this self's happiness or unhappiness. And that's where desire and aversion come from. So when you can see that all of that is a projection of the mind, and that the mind too and the self too are empty, then that's where the liberation comes in. So now as we're trying, as, as we're trying to do, we haven't got to that point of really directly seeing this, when it's still at the level of uh, trying to deepen and clarify understanding. We have to be very careful of the wrong ways of thinking of things that can keep us from developing a really clear insight into the emptiness of ourself and the emptiness of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So, on the one hand, there is no reality out there the way you perceive it. There is no reality out there the way I perceive it. So in that sense, I could say to myself, well, all of you are a construct of my mind and a projection of my mind. But that is not the full truth. What, what is the case is that how I perceive you is indeed a construct of my mind. But it comes nowhere near touching what any of you is. I can't 
my mind that's doing the constructing has no no way of doing that. And if that's true of each of you as an individual, how more true must it be of the situation that we find ourselves in involving all of us and our interactions and this place and the judgments that we may make about this place and how we came to be here and what is going to happen with us as we interact together over this next little one. So, knowing that I am experiencing, that what I am experiencing is empty of any self-nature of being the way I perceive it to be, is in no sense a denial of reality, of there being minds other than my own and experiences other than my own. And also, we are constrained. My mind can project a huge number of different realities into this situation. It happens to be projecting one at this moment. But it is not the case that my mind could project any possible, absolutely any possible reality into this situation. The possible projections of my mind are constrained. You know, if a truck just happened to drive and park its wheel on top of your foot, your mind is going to be obviously limited in the realities that it can project in that moment. I mean, you could project, oh no, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me, or you could project, oh, uh, well, who can I invite to come sign my cast after I get out of the hospital? You know? mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways your mind can, but it's still going to be constrained by the experience that you're having at the moment, and certain possibilities are going to flow out of, or certain things that are going to flow out of that out of causal necessity, very much unlike a dream. In a dream, in the next moment, the truck could disappear and something you're totally someplace different and, and your foot doesn't even hurt anymore. So the projections of your mind are constrained. It is just a projection of your mind, but it is not to say that there is nothing other than that. If there was nothing other than that, it would be it would be a very desperate situation indeed. <laughs> but we're trying to find our way to the greater truth, the ultimate truth, and to understand the true nature of reality. And I'll tell you this much. As long as you are in human form, with a human mind, the ultimate truth is that there is no ultimate reality graspable by your mind. There is only the projections that your mind produces. And they can be of many, many different kinds. And once we realize that, we can begin to exercise some control. Now, can you please, yes, say something to that? Does this, just... Tell me, is this, was, is this helpful? Does this clarify what my reaction is about to your statement? Yes. 
because this is, you know, you, you, it is, <clears throat> it is very important to understand emptiness of self and emptiness of our projected perceptions of reality. The more often we do that, the more clearly we can perceive it. And it's not, you know, if you're if you're still at that place of well, you know, that looks real to me. It's hard to believe that's just a projection of my mind. Then you need to you need to think about what I said a little deeper, because you can you can come intellectually uh, very readily to the place of recognizing that okay, I see it that way. And there's definite reasons why I see it that way. And some of those reasons are things that I'll never know because they are the things that constrain the uh, projection of my mind. But the other things that cause me to see it the way I do are the conditioning of my mind. And you make a clear distinction between those two. And then you can come to the place of seeing things, seeing the emptiness of things. And then in this experience of I am this, I feel that way, I'm afraid of this, I hope for that, I love this, I hate that, Um, I want this. Uh, All of these other things you can clearly more and more see that these two are projections. They're arising out of causes and conditions. The only reason that they are there is that you have created the causes and conditions in your mind and that your mind projects a self-awareness that exists in that state, uh, in that particular state of mind in the present moment. You see? Yes? It, it would seem then that this is, this kind of understanding serves as the roots for compassion and forgiveness, openness and pliability. Yes. Yes, that's right. When you put it all together and you realize that we all experience uh, pleasure and pain, we all experience suffering and we're trying to avoid it, that the people, all the people around you are clinging to this idea that they're a self interacting with a with a, a world that's the way they perceive it to be. And this is why they're experiencing desire and aversion. And because of this desire and aversion, this is why they're doing and saying the things that they're doing, whether they're good or bad. Then you begin to have great compassion for what other people are experiencing because you've seen it and understood it in yourself. And so you can see the suffering of others. And you can see the ignorance that it arises from even though you're still subject to that ignorance yourself, you, you can see it. And you feel great compassion. And even more usefully, when people do things uh, that uh, impact on you in a negative way, and you realize that it's coming from that ignorance and that desire and that aversion, then it, it makes it so much easier for you to be in a place of compassion and come from a place of understanding and practice patience rather than reacting. Because if you react, you're just going to further condition yourself and you're going to pay the price for it. Then, then not only the next time you encounter 
that person, but any similar situation. You know, every every time you react, you condition yourself more strongly to react in, in that way in the future. So when you experience compassion, loving kindness, patience, understanding, it it helps them, it helps you. It's a uh, step on the way. So. so, well, we can talk some more after we've had a sit. Okay? So if you join me, and we'll uh, recite the mandala prayer. Here is the great earth, filled with the smell of incense, covered with a blanket of flowers, the great mountains, the four continents, wearing a jewel of the sun and the moon. In my mind I make of them a paradise of the Buddha, and I offer it to you all, sentient beings everywhere. By this deed, may all beings come to know the pure world, free from suffering. 